Hey friends, Mike Shea from Sly Flourish, and this is the Lazy D&D Talk Show. This is a weekly show in which I talk about all things D&D, maybe a little bit of news, maybe some product reviews, things like that. This show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. You too can become a patron of Sly Flourish by going to patreon.com slash slyflourish and signing up. Uh, you can also get weekly D&D tips right to your email inbox by subscribing to the Sly Flourish newsletter. You can also subscribe to my YouTube videos and you will get uh, a whole bunch of D&D related YouTube videos every week. And finally, if you are really interested in what I do, you can pick up my book, Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. It's probably the most popular thing that I've, that I've done. So yeah, this is a big week for D&D stuff, there were some big announcements of new products coming out that we're going to talk about. We're going to do a couple of reviews of third-party products that you can buy right now, so you don't have to wait around for stuff coming out later in this year. And maybe we'll talk about some other some other odds and ends. I don't know how much we're going to get through. I always, I always kind of put together a little agenda, and we'll see how far we get. So yeah, there were three books announced this past since friday we knew about them we've we kind of heard little bits and we i think two of the three we we had heard about early uh, a third got kind of leaked in the middle of the week and then we heard all about them and what i suggest if you want to know more about all of these things i have links to the nerdarchy website which seemed to have really good write-ups from people that i know love DD with the least amount of ads popping up on your screen there is one pop-up on the screen but i can't complain there's a pop on my screen too so the least amount of ads to cut through in order to see interesting things because a lot of the big commercial sites are just riddled with ads so yeah the three the three products are wilds wilds beyond the witch light and this is a so I had I had talked previously about my desire for a see there's the pop up I did for a non grim dark adventure and I think I got my wish I mean we'll see right so how are these we'll see is always a safe is always a safe answer but I am cautiously optimistic I am I am excited to see what they come out with. Uh, I like what I'm hearing. I'm 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 excited to all of these products to be honest. So, Wild Beyond the Witchlight is a Feywild adventure. It's first at eighth level, so it's again it's kind of tier one and a little bit of tier two, which is sort of the sweet spot of five E, I think. And it is set mostly in the Feywild with interesting, kind of a circusy sort of theme going on. Some of the highlights are that, according to Chris Perkins, uh, very very whimsical, very. Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, which all sounds great. And apparently you can get through this entire adventure without any combat, which is interesting. And I don't know that a lot of groups will be really happy with that idea. I guess combat is certainly an option. I'm interested to see how they do that. It's very interesting because sometimes I see groups who are, they they try to avoid combat, but they really want it too, right? Like, you know, they, they recognize that like trying to find a way out of a situation without getting to a fight in the world is a good answer. But in reality, in our world is not as much fun. And, and I've seen like where one or two players are working really hard not to get into a fight. And it's not like the other people in the group want to get in that fight, but they really, we want to see the mechanics of combat work. So it'll be interesting how they kind of balance that and, and we'll, we'll figure that out. Any other information, there's a really cool poster map for it. There's a lot of, it, it looks, the artwork looks really, really good. Like, look, some really fantastic artwork here. The poster map looks like a, the kind of map you would get at like an amusement park. Whoops, I don't know what happened there. So really kind of, you know, really kind of cool, you know, cool map, just cool style. So definitely a good, solid departure from the hellish, 
charred landscapes of descent into Avernus and the frozen wastelands of the of, of Icewind Dale. So I'm excited for that. And yeah, so the other, and again, I'll have the link uh, to the Nerdarchies site. Let me paste that into Twitch so you guys can see it. And let's, what's the other one? So the other one is Fizbin's Treasury of Dragons. And this is one that we didn't know about, at least until about the middle of last week. And it f seems to fall quite right, right in line with Morden Kanan's and Volo's Guide as a, a book primarily focused around monsters. Now, Volo's and Morden Kanan's, Morden Kanan's kind of had an extra planar angle to it. And I don't think Volo's really had a, you know, Volo's didn't really have a central theme, I don't think. It had sort of a bunch of different monsters. But this one obviously is focused around dragons and dragon stuff. They said it's not all dragons, it's dragon-related things. It's got some new character origins, I think. They're mostly the gem dragon dragonborns, which I think have been in UA, so I think we can see those. And, you know, big piles of monsters and other things. I don't know if there's any big surprises about what's going to see in here. Really cool alternate cover. The alternate covers of these books, I'm going to definitely call my FLGS and get the alternate covers because they look, they all, all three of them look really, really cool. So I, I don't, I don't know that there were any major surprises, right? Gem Dragons, Story of the First World and the Royal Bomb. Yeah, so this is kind of interesting. They, there's they're definitely putting an angle on the idea of, of really powerful dragons, which re they're referring to as great worms. So it used to be, I think in the olden days of D&D, that a great worm and an, and an ancient dragon were kind of the same thing, right? I've, I've all, and up until now, I've thought of ancient dragons as the equivalent of great worms. But it seems like in this book, they actually have a new level of dragon, which are great worms, which are almost like the, 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 the you know, the, progenitor dragons from Eberron. They're nearly gods and they can actually traverse worlds, which is why you might see a, an, a great worm could be in Eberron or it could be in Forgotten Realms, the same worm could be. So that way they're sort of tying their multiverse together through these dragons, which is a little bit like, you know, kind of a funny angle, but I think it'll be fine. So yeah, very cool. 20 different kinds of dragons, lots of stuff. So I'm excited about this. Now, you know, the, the apprehension I have is that I dragons are definitely high challenge rating monsters. And it seems like the designers at Wizards have not, they, they haven't been handling high challenge rating monsters the way I would like them to be. They're just generally not as powerful as I think they should be given their challenge ratings. And I'm, I'm, so I'm always worried about stuff like that. I've, I've, and, and it doesn't seem like it's gotten better. I had complaints. There are some monsters in like, uh, Van Richten's guide to Ravenloft that are really, really tough and powerful where I go, wow, those are really good. And then there are other ones where they're the same challenge rating and they're weak. And, you know, so I have, I have some trouble with that. I don't know what happens in the design process to make monsters. I hope that's not the case here. And I'm confident in my ability to tweak the monsters to get them where I want them anyway. So I don't. They don't have to absolutely nail it as far as I'm concerned um, in order for the book to be useful to me because the lore is as important to me as the mechanics and I can always tweak the mechanics. So that is Fizbin's. Uh, I don't think there's any internal art. There is some internal art. So yeah, there's there's a picture of Fizbin himself. Fizbin is kind of a, a doting figure of Dragonlance who is also their platinum dragon who is kind of like Bahamut. This Look at that dragon turtle. Great worm dragon turtle. Wow, that's there's kaiju kaiju action. These are gem gem dragons. I like that their horn. None of their horns are connected. I don't know because I guess they're psionic. There's a lot of psionics with the gem dragons, and I guess they show off their psionics by having things floating around their head, which is kind of interesting. Really cool. 
really cool art. This is a metallic great worm. Yeah, so I'm I'm very interested. You know, I'm I'm definitely like I I really like Voldos and Morden Canons. I think they're great books. I think they're really good books for the lore, right? Like the, the monsters are are fine. Again, I I just get annoyed when I have to tweak a monster. And if you want like an example, the you know the examples I love to highlight are Hudigen. If you look at Hudigen and Morden Canons, he's like a arch devil guy and he's weaker than a pit fiend in my he's like got two-thirds of the hit points of a pit fiend and just generally not nearly as powerful and as as even like a pit fiend and he's like he is a pit fiend like he should be at least as powerful as a pit fiend so strange strange ways that the monsters are designed and so we'll see we'll see how that how that goes but i'm sure the lore will be great the lore the lore is always fantastic and then the other one we have is is it called the academy of strixhaven strixhaven a curriculum of chaos and this is their third Magic the Gathering tie-in, D- Magic the Gathering t- uh, uh, D&D tie-in. And it focuses on a magical school called Strixhaven, where the characters can play as students going through their academic career. It has a definite sort of, yeah, Hogwarts slash Harry Potter vibe, I'm sure. One difference is the school is not a school for wizards and spellcasters. It is, it is a school about magic. So there's reasons for your non-magic casting classes to be there, which reminds me a little bit of like Fantasy High. I'm watching, my wife and I are watching the Fantasy High streaming. Well, I guess it's not streaming. It's on YouTube. Live play. And... That's about a school for adventures too, and it's really fun. And I, I, so I could see this from 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 here. Um, so yeah, so I, I'm interested. What I'm particularly interested in is unlike Ray, Ravnica and Theros, which were mostly setting books with I think small adventures in them. This one is two thirds of it is an adventure a, a, or, or four adventures that cover first to 10th level. So it's actually a higher level adventure. It goes higher than even Wild Beyond the Witchlight does, which is pretty interesting, right? First to 10th level where Witchlight only goes up to eighth level. So that, that is really kind of, kind of bizarre. And which is bizarre and cool. So we get a nice big adventure. And, you know, I'm always interested to, to look at an adventure. So I definitely want to see it. The other interesting thing is that they apparently, according to this article on Nerdarchy, again, I will post it in the, it's in the notes below if you haven't seen it, but it's also now in Twitch chat. And the interesting thing here is they said that they put out an unearthed arcana with a bunch of new subclasses and that the feedback on them was not great. So they yanked it, which is very interesting. Yeah, Christopher Scratch says, I want to play an owl person. Yes, you can apparently play an owl person, which gets me into another topic I was thinking about today, which is like, how do you deal with all the anthropomorphic animals in your D&D game? So the owl folk race, the owlin, they're called. And so, yeah, you know, I think it's interesting that it's a first to 10th level, primarily two thirds of it are the adventure. They did remove the subclasses. Yeah. I don't know if there are subclasses in here, but according to Nerdarchy, they are not the subclasses that were in the Unearthed Arcana, which I think came out relatively recently. So like, it makes me question. I mean, on the inside, I'm like, how long did they take to produce these books? And are they really tight on their timelines that the playtests for the material is coming out close to production? And how do they make changes like that? And, and does that explain why there's such broken stuff in... Tasha's right I like Tasha's is not a strong book from a, in my in my opinion I'm playing one character build from it and I've had other character builds in it and they're all weird I'm not a big Tasha's fan I like a lot about Tasha's but I, I don't dig the new class builds 
Uh, they're just they're weird. They're, most of them are not as good as other core class builds, and then some of them are totally broken, like like Twilight Clerics, which I've talked about before. Anyway, so we'll see. We'll see what this looks look like. I, I'm excited about it. Uh, I gave this advice before again, like really cool art, you know, and that neat, really really neat stuff. Just I don't know. Even for the art, these books are these books are worth it. Yeah, there's your Owlkin, Owlins, right? Adventuring school. But yeah, one of the things about the adventuring school is all classes, all character classes make sense for this place. So it is definitely like an adventuring school and a school of magic more than a school of spellcasters. So I really dig that. Can we all mention that we're in a golden age of art? The art is really, yes, we can. I saw Kate Irwin on an interview and I was talking to people about like, the, and the, you know, Kate Irwin is sort of an unsung hero as, as a major art director for a lot of Wizards products. And all of my complaints about the design of uh, WotC products don't hold to the product design. The product design, they're beautiful books, really, really above and beyond pretty much everything else that's out there. The only company, in my opinion, that really comes close is Money, Money Cook Games. They, they have really, really beautiful art direction as well. And yeah, I just, you know, like I never... You know, that's why I like the books that focus on lore is because you can't really screw up lore, right? I mean, you can, people get mad about lore. People read things about lore that they don't like, but unlike mechanics, you can't, you're not going to break a game with lore because you can always change it. You can always take what you like and toss what you don't. Anyway, so that's Strixhaven. I'm excited for that. So really like we have three strong books coming out in three months, right? We have a September, October, November releases for these and all of them have alternate covers and they look great. And I'm, 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 I'm optimistic, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, I'm happy to do it. So let's take a break from looking at products and let's talk about, it's kind of an event that happened to me. I'm back to running D&D at my gaming table. So I had my first in-person game in I think 16 months this past Wednesday. And it was like learning how to play D&D again. I was kind of thrown off. Like it was great having people around the table. It was great. Like I think we had a lot of fun. I think like tapping into the body language was a lot of fun. There's a bit like, wow, it's crowded the table again. We don't have as much room as we thought. There's a bit of like scrambling around because actual human beings are coming to the coming to our house. But you know, I know that like the jokes that I cracked, I could see people's reactions to them better. I think the dynamic was better. We, you know, stuff like that. There were like side conversations we kind of had to quell, right? But it was wild. But like there were, there were like, I had to go back through my checklist and be like, what, I don't know what I need. Like, I don't know what I need to play. And I'm like, oh, thank God I wrote a guide that tells you what you need because I can have it. And I still didn't have everything. Like I didn't have my numbered initiative cards. And I'm like, oh my God, we're rolling initiative and I don't have a way to track initiative. And I had to grab a bunch of three by five cards and like write numbers on them and throw them around the table real quickly. And it's like, I forgot all that stuff. So I actually shot a new video yesterday. Should be up in probably a couple weeks. Patrons, I think are going to get it this Wednesday. And it was like, what, what tools do we need? What are the tools of the Lazy Dungeon Master again, right? It's the 2021 version of Tools of the Lazy Dungeon Master, which I hadn't recorded again since for eight years. And it was like, what material do we need? And it's like, you need initiative cards and three by five cards and a cheat sheet and monster tokens and dice and all that sort of thing. But it was really like, it wasn't hard to play and I didn't get lost. I used physical books. I didn't, I used, I used my phone for my, for my notes, like my notion notes. But I used a physical book for everything else. I, I, I'm playing Monsters right out of Tome of Beast 2 by Cobalt Press. And so I had those books right there, which is another nice thing. Like, 
I've been kind of stuck with using uh, D&D Beyond, which doesn't have a lot of third-party stuff. And now I can just grab a third-party book and stick a bunch of bookmarks in it and use it directly as is. Yeah, the Lazy DM workbook, right. I, I, I knew I needed that, so I had that on hand. But yeah, that was really interesting. And I think like as we, some of us, I know that like lockdown is still in place for a lot of people. And I know some places the, the, the numbers are going back up again. It's just awful. This thing just never seems to end. I'm lucky that I live in, a, in an area where uh, vaccine rate seems to be pretty good. And more importantly, well, not more importantly, we should all get vaccinated. But along with it, the number of cases has gone way down, although it started to peak back up a little bit. But we made sure that everybody that was at our table was vaccinated. And that helped considerably. That helped our kind of nervousness considerably. And uh, yeah, California went back to masks. Yeah, apparently. So it's really interesting. But so as some people are able to get back to the table, it's sort of like we have to relearn the game again. And I think that's an interesting situation. It's just like switching from physical play and in-person play to online play required me to relearn D&D in a, in a lot of fundamental ways. Doing that for 16 months and then switching back to in-person play might make me think about running games at the table again differently. So it, there, it's kind of like cross-training, right? It's like you, 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 you work out in a different way to kind of shake up your body to, 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 you know, in a way that it's not used to be shooken up. And in the same way, like our, our DM training, if you, for, for lack of a better term, our DM training shifts as we try out these different styles of play, which is why it's important to try out different styles of play. It's why it's important to play different games, right? Like play, try out other RPGs when you can, both play them and you know, read them, play them and run them. And you learn a lot. There's a lot of things I've learned about how I run my 5e games that I picked up from other games. I constantly quote Dungeon World, but, and I didn't even play Dungeon World that much. I only played a couple times, but a lot of it stuck with me. 13th Age, I played a lot of, you know? So there's, there's a lot of other games Numenera. I've, you know, I haven't played more than a dozen games in Numenera, but boy, that game made an impact on me. So yeah, anyway, it's been really interesting getting back to the table. I'm probably going to write more articles about it. I certainly wrote a, I did this, this YouTube video. It's a long, it's a longer one for me. It's like a 13 minute YouTube video instead of my typical two or three minutes, but hopefully people will dig it. So that's been very interesting. Yeah, it's, it's just great to have people reconnecting. How much time we spend on reconnecting? We, we didn't have like an hour. I mean, we, you know, people got there about a half hour early, but we, you know, it's the same group that we've been playing with online. So, but yeah, it was just, it was really interesting. Uh, so now I want to do two product reviews. I think I'm going to do these in reverse order. I'm going to start with Dread Metro. We're going to do two third-party reviews today. Last week, I think I talked about the fact that I was going to do Patreon. I was going to uh, review some Patreons because I think there's a lot of exciting RPG stuff happening in the world of Patreon these days. But then two new products hit my desk and I wanted to review both of them because they are both worthy of being reviewed. So the first is Dread Metro Into the Mist. One, one qualifier I need to make is I was given uh, PDF review copies of both of these, both of these products, Dread Metro and Iskandar. I don't know how to pronounce it. I think it's Iskandar. So we're going to start with Dread Metro. So Dread Metro is a PDF available on the DMs Guild. Let me get the, the link here. Open. I can't open a new window. Boom. 18 bucks on DriveThruRPG. Or I'm sorry, 18 bucks on the DMs Guild. And it is a 96, 112 page uh, PDF. And done by Keith Baker as the principal designer, lead designer was Keith Baker. 
Keith Baker is the fellow who invented Eberron. He was the one that uh, worked with Wizards of the Coast to bring Eberron to life as part of a contest back during the third edition days of D&D. And now, because of the DMs Guild, he has the ability to write his own Eberron content and put it up for sale and do so without really having to have Wizards of the Coast's permission to do so, which is great. Like, Wizards, of course, endorses it because they endorse everything on the DMs Guild. But... What's cool about it is like, I don't think he had to have any of them come in and check his work ahead of time. So it's really interesting that like a guy like Keith Baker, you know, he can't pitch stuff to Wizards. Like Wizards is like, we already did Eberron. We're not going to be doing a bunch of Eberron stuff. But instead he has the DMs Guild where he can do lots of Eberron stuff. And so Keith and company worked with the material that came out in Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft and the idea of dread domains, dread lords, and, and that sort of thing to create a... Ravenloft Eberron hybrid called Dread Metrol. Metrol is a city on the eastern edge of the Morn, the Mornland, uh, in the eastern edge of what used to be Sire. The Mornland is a huge empire that got completely destroyed in an event known as the Morning. And it is a big world-defining moment in, in Eberron. And lots of weird stuff happen in the morning. I'm particularly interested in this because I just finished an Eberron campaign where about half the campaign took place in the Mornland. And I loved it. Like, I, I think back on it, and I just loved it. I took a lot of stuff from, like, Stephen King's Wastelands, and I, I took a lot of things there. And what's funny is I, I had planned on doing stuff in Metro. And then changed my mind and and focused on the east on the western side of of the the western side of the the Mornland, and didn't go to Metro. And then I see a product that comes out about the place I didn't do. So I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Like that that could be really fun. And it is. It's really the the the, the setting here that he created is really cool. The you know it's forty five pages focused on this setting. And if you think about it, like that's way bigger than any of the domains of dread. The, side, the, the any amount of the words of Domains of Dread in Van Richten's guide, right? It's one domain, this one place. And the general theme of this place, the general theme of the Dread Metro is, or of Dread Metro is that this, it is a, it is a advanced city, advanced in the world of like artificers and stuff, that is fighting off uh, hordes of undead sent by the Empire of Karnath. And there is a leader known as the Empress, I think it's the Empress of Shadows, her name, but her name is Dewanarn, Danelle Dewanarn, I think is her name. And I think I have that right, Queen Danelle. And she is the last queen of Sire, right? She's, she's the last queen of this, of this empire, of this, of this nation that essentially gets wiped out. We know it gets wiped out because that's what happens in the morning. But this city is stuck in its continual war, because it is a domain of dread, it is stuck in a continual war with undead hordes from Karnath. And at first you might think like, well, that's pretty straightforward. You've got a queen in her empire and they're fighting against Karnath. The problem is the real darkness of this domain is what she is doing to fight this war, that she is transforming her people. It's a, it's a you know, it's, it's you know, the, what is it called? You know, it's a military state, right? It is, mar it's under martial law and there's secret police and, sh you know, and, and they're, they're, you know, people are disappearing and people are getting transformed into uh, war machines, right? And there's a lot of like the artificer. She is kind of half artificer herself. I think there's like a little, almost like a blueprint of her in here. 
And so that, you know, so the story is like this twisted darkness of a, an empress, right, of a, of a queen who is trying to defend her city and is willing to destroy everything in it rather than supplicate to the undead hordes of Karnath. And that's just a wild idea. It's a, it's a really wild idea. These look like Cybermen, but they're not. They're not Cybermen. They are undead. I think those are probably whites or something like that. I forget what the, the undead soldiers of Karnath are. So really great stuff in here. Lots of lore to dive into. Lots of stuff to just read and absorb. Lots of interesting things about this, this endless war that is going on. R- very digestible, very usable and this first part of the setting really builds up a an excellent setting that you can that you can use like gives you a lot of excellent material that you can use lots of def- you know lots of random tables that you can use which i, I love random tables we're going to talk more about that in iskandar as well lots of random tables that you can use great art really good design i didn't so i haven't read it thoroughly so i don't know about the quality of editing that's always a question but i haven't seen anything that made me go Ugh. You know, so really, really cool stuff. And I, and I just, I like, you know, it's got a fun map, you know, of the location, these, these cool, the vermin shards, which are these like huge ancient growths, like weird growths that exist here. And they're not growths exactly, but they're like weird constructs that have been around far longer than, you know, far longer than even the, the city that, that surround them. So that's really neat stuff. Big districts, you know, but not so big that you like get out of hand, really scary artwork. There's two different pieces of artwork of a bunch of hands. That's one piece. And then there's another piece. Hey, look, more hands. And uh, these are come from the Bridge of the Dead, which is a bunch of petrified undead that, that they created. They created like a dark bridge. Really, really, really neat stuff that go on here. And so one of the things for your, for your eight, there's, there's like the Arn and the parts of her that have been replaced by Danelle. Yeah, Danelle de Arn. And it treats her as, a, as one of these dreadlords, right? As a, a dark lord. And what, what is transforming her, right? What is driving her? And what is the cyclic, you know, what is the cyclic battles that she has to face, right? And she's in, you know, 15th level legendary. So that's kind of cool. Really just good stuff. I really, really like it. And, and I, I could totally see grabbing onto this and running a fun... Short, probably short Eberron campaign built around built around this world. The your your eighteen bucks also gets you a player edition, which is something I believe I, I don't know if it has like are you allowed to give a copy of this to your players? Exactly, I presume I don't know how that works. Yeah. But a player driven version of this that has like this could be the sort of the handout that you get. It's big, 35 pages, 34 pages. But it's like a handout that you give to your players so they can understand the world and what's going on here and, and, and their place in it and everything that's going on. Because like it would be based on the idea that they, that the, the players, that the characters know this place. They've already been here. So they know all this stuff. I think that's really, I think that that's really cool. So really, really, really cool stuff. So yeah, it's neat that it comes with a, a whole player's guide along with the, along with the core, the core book and a, and a good chunky player's guide at that 35 pages, same, same material, right? It's, it's basically material from the, from the main one that has been abbreviated down so you can give it to a player. It's not, it's not entirely new. One other thing that it has in it is an adventure. So it, about half of it is on the setting and then the other half is on an adventure I'm, and and I, I will warn you, I'm going to be spoiling parts of the adventure. 
So if you are planning on playing in this adventure, you may want to take a break and come back in five or 10 minutes or so, or just peek in every few minutes and see if I'm still talking about it. So it is an adventure for, what levels does it get to? Fourth level? Does it go higher than fourth level? Level advanced in second, third, second, third. Yeah, so it's a first to fourth level adventure set in sort of five, instead of five parts. And it follows the characters as they are uh, learning about the horrors of what the queen is doing here in Metrol in order to fight this war. And I'll be honest, so I have not read it thoroughly and I haven't run it yet. Those are two qualifiers that I'm going to put before I, before I make my, my statements about it. That, you know, I might read it and change my mind. I might, if I had read it or if I read it, I, will, I might change my mind. And if I run it, I will, I, you can't, to me, you can't really know an adventure until you've run it. And I would be, I'm apprehensive about hearing people's thoughts about an adventure until they've run it, right? We, we don't really know. So with those qualifiers in place, I will say that the adventure didn't, didn't grab me as much. And I guess part of it is after reading the first half I had in my mind, the kind of adventure I wanted to see, which was a lot of urban, urban subterfuge. Maybe you start off like working on her on the side of the of the you know of of the the this, of the side of sire, right? The, the side of of Winarn, the Winarn side. I don't know what that faction is called. And then slowly realizing the terror, the terrible stuff that they're doing, and then become kind of part of the resistance and dealing with it that way. I think that that might have been sort of a fun way to deal with it. And then reading the adventure, it's got some of that. The adventure de- does follow this sort of deconstruction of the of the horror that's going on. But there, was a, there were probably two things right off the bat that made me go, ugh, right? Like, as soon as I saw it, I'm like, ah, oh, I don't want to do that. And one is that I think in, there are two different ways to introduce your characters in the adventure, and both of them are the forced capture, where a fog rolls over, you're suddenly captured, you lose all your gear, no, there's nothing you can do, no, you can't roll a saving throw, no, you can't dimension doorway, no, you can't polymorph into another creature, right? It's a very dismissive way of introducing an adventure. And... I'm, I'm writing, I think I've got an article coming out on Monday that talks about brittle quests or, or you know, quests that seem like good ideas but don't really work in play. And the forced capture is one of them, right? The idea of your whole group is captured and you lose all your crap is a commonly used and, in my opinion, not a, not a great model for a quest. And the reason why is, like, you're taking all the agency away, right? Like, you're, you're just, you know... You're just taking you're, you're you're taking everything away that a character could possibly do in a situation, and I get it now. So I, I think the 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 way that you can get around it is to start them there, right? As part of your session zero, say you are going to begin captured by these groups, right? And then see if your players are interested in that. And they're like, that sucks. I don't want to do that. Then you know that you shouldn't have done it in the first place, right? So like Out of the Abyss, for example, is a is a good... Out of the Abyss is an example where you start off captured. You don't... How you got there isn't in question. There isn't some scene where a bunch of drow shoot you with sleep darts. You know, you just end up there. There is a Adventurers League adventure called Arena of Blood, which people have called Railroad of Blood, in which you are the first battle you're jumped by like an insurmountable amount of drow who shoot you with sleep darts. And it's notorious for getting screwed up and notorious for people hating how it goes. And notorious that like, you know, it turns out half of them don't get captured and now the DM has to somehow deal with this. And it's just, it's a good example of like why capturing in general is not a great angle. So that was something that off the bat, I was like, oh, the fog rolls in and you're all captured. Lame. The other part is like you start off in a, in sort of a 
you know, stable. You're starting off like at a, almost like a farm, right? What is it called? A ranch. And I'm like, you, you built this great big crazy city with like all this stuff going on and wars. Why aren't we, isn't, why isn't this an urban adventure? Like you're in a big city and instead, you know, it's a day at the ranch. And it's like, I don't know why I'm at a ranch, right? And, and it's, it's, it, the place is weird. And I think you get captured again. I can't remember. I, I mean, you get rescued, I guess, and then brought somewhere else. And then a third thing, which makes it a no, a no play for me is they do bad things to horses. And they have a, a scene with a, with a, you know, a horse, half horse, half spider that's all twisted up. And I'm like, that is not, my wife worked at a horse rescue. This is not going to work, <laughs> right? So there are hard lines in here that, that for me and my group are going to be our, our no-go. Can you twist it around? Maybe. But again, like, why am I paying 18 bucks if I have to twist the adventure all around? So the reality is I'm paying the 18 bucks because I like the first half of this thing a lot. I think it's really, really good. So you, you do a lot of stuff on the horse. Yeah, there's your spider horse. And it'd be one thing if you like saw people ride up on spider horses, but it's something else when they have like one that doesn't work and it's like twisted and, and, and sad and stuff. You know, a, a tortured animal, no. Tortured animals are no go for me. So then there's like an escape and stuff like that. And then you actually do get back into this city. And then there's there are some like the the middle part of this adventure, which might be salvageable. I think if I you know if I could read it and kind of work it at like how you can sort of start in this circumstance, I think you could get to it. And then you know then you get to the end and you're back at the stables again. <laughs> and I was like, no, why am I back at the stables? So yeah. I, it reminded me a little bit. Yeah, to the kennels. Like, oh, yay, kennels. And there could be a reason. Again, like I'm, I'm skim reading it, right? So I'm probably being harsher than, it, it might turn out that it's great, right? And I could be totally wrong. So, yeah, so I guess I would have liked more urban, more stuff that kind of built out this city and more adventures that took place in the city. And I'll give an example of like the kind of adventures that I would want to run in this, in this place. Some cool monsters too. I think it actually includes a bunch of monsters. They're doing like the D&D &D thing of any monster that's not part of the core book is, is in here, I think. So one of the things that it got me thinking about was like, how would I run adventures in here? And then I thought about a, this is an adventure generator that is available to Patreon, Sly Flourish, Patreon supporters, patrons of Sly Flourish. So if you're a patron of Sly Flourish, you have access to this right now. It's under the adventure generators, which you can get it. I think an email is linked. It's linked in an email. It's available right on the Patreon page and everything like that. And there's 22 of these, but one of them is the dogs of war and the dogs of war is how I recommend. It's both how I recommend wars are run in D and D and offers a bunch of things that you can do to make wars kind of interesting, like the missions. So the way I recommend you run a war in D&D &D is have the war as backdrop, right? And that the characters are involved in their part in the war and they make accomplishments that might move the war effort one way or the other. But I don't need mass combat rules. I don't need, I don't need a system for handling b battles or faction systems or anything like that. I think just handle that as part of the background story. And then in the in the foreground is where you want to, you want to focus on the adventures that the character's having. And that said, there's a bunch of interesting adventures that you could go on, like killing leaders, rescuing POWs, stealing enemy plans, blah, blah, blah. There's 20 of these. I actually updated this. I think there used to only be 10, and now there's 20 different wartime missions. And there's the battleground locations. So I think if I took this one page, and this is really how it's supposed to work, right? If I take this one page for running wars, and... I use it with the backdrop of Dread Metrol. Now I've got this really rich tapestry for running cool adventures and campaigns 
in this domain of dread, right? I can I can use this to build adventures, and you could still have it go start off with you're working on the side of the of of the of the queen to fight these off, but then slowly realizing like the the plot shifts as you realize that like what she's doing is terrible, and then you have to switch sides and become part of the resistance, right? I think that that is a really cool way to have that adventure go, and this guide can sort of help with the initial ones and then maybe you know maybe you have to switch right so could be could be neat stuff i get talking so much i try my throat gets really dry <clears throat> so anyway that was a thought i had so and that is dread metro i i recommend it I, I i think it is a really cool book that idea of like a 40 page guide to this one city and creating it as a domain it is the largest domain that has a publication like this, like, you know, I don't think there's any other than like Ravenloft, like Ravenloft's got tons of stuff, Castle Ravenloft and Barovia. But aside from Barovia, I think this is probably the second largest domain because it's just got a, a bunch of stuff. So, so I do recommend it. I'm just, a, I'm a little iffy on the adventure. So the other product I want to talk about is by MT Black. Like Dread Metro, I was given a preview copy uh, of this. I was given a copy by MT, uh, MT Black about this. And he created a city source book for a city called Iskandar. It is a drop-in city that you can put in any of your own campaign worlds. You can kind of put it wherever you want and, and use it, and, and use it uh, as you will. It is uh, also available. This one is available on Drive-Thru RPG. And it is available for the low price of five bucks. And five, for five dollars... It is, it sh you shouldn't like stop thinking, just stop thinking and go buy. And cause it is, you know, is it worth it? Absolutely. MT Black is a fantastic uh, writer. He's a very, very prolific adventure writer that has primarily put stuff out in the DMs guild, but is now branching off to do his own work on drive through RPG. And that the kind of stuff that he does is really, really good. He definitely knows his stuff. 1990 price. Exactly. And so it's 112 pages. Keep in mind, though, that the, the style of the book is built for mobile. So it's actually very easy to read on a mobile device, which is why it's so long. It is a relatively short city source book, which is a feature, not a bug. Like when I first saw it, and I, I laughed with uh, the MT Black and I hang out in a, in a Discord, and I kind of laughed because I said my first thought was like, you know, oh, MT Black, you know, why are you doing this when there's a book like Tolis, right? which I've, I've talked about before. And this is Monty Cook Games' you know, 700-page city adventure campaign that weighs, I can almost not move it with one hand. But there's, you know, I'll tell you the difference. One, I can read this one because it's relatively short. And two, it's only five bucks, which is 12 times less than Tolis is in PDF. So <laughs> there's definitely a price difference, but there's also, it's a feature because like, I don't need a giant city. Sometimes I just want a, enough information to make a city. And so, so MT Black has done a great job. He added, there's a lot of neat stuff for players in this book. It's not just a city book. He's got, you know, right up front, the five things like, what is this? You know, Mighty Metropolis, Cosmopolitan, throbbing of sacred energy in the wake of an empire, facing a fiendish threat. Very cool, right? Five things to know about the city. And right off the bat, one or two sentences. Look, look, a lot of these are three sentences long. So you could just digest this stuff fast. And that is a really powerful, a powerful thing. New races, you know, Bagrock, long reptilian creatures from long dead empire. This is kind of like draconians, right? 
fiend spawns, fiend, mixtures of fiends and humans, forge rot, living constructs, goblins, Joden kin, you know, giant types, lots of different origins here. So, you know, lots of stuff for, for, for players, which is, which is cool. Yeah. Ravine says, I like his pocketbook format. Yeah. It's, it means that you can read it on any device, right? It, it's got some flexibility, some flexibility in it. So lots of stuff about, oh, and then new domains, you know, a night domain. This might actually be good to replace the twilight cleric. I'll have to look at it and think, does this, you know, is this, would, would night, would night be better than twilight? Maybe not hard. So uh, new fighters, if you're into new builds, there are new builds. There's a lot of new builds. That's probably like, I'm not as interested in that. And I don't think my players are going to be because it's not a DD Beyond, which is a shame, but that's kind of the issue. Lots of history about Iskandar, lots of stuff about wars. This is all the kind of lore you really want to just sink into, right? You really want to flow, you know, just take fiction and throw it in your head, right? And yeah, so awesome stuff that you can do and you want to drop this right in. If you want like a kind of a fun campaign world, here you go. And and he's got a lot of it. Like it's really fun to just sit down and read this stuff, right? It's really, I, I, I really dig this, this kind of content. But then he does something which I also adore in this, which is lots of random tables. I'm trying to get down to the random tables because there's lots of stuff about the city in here. Interesting houses, like the great houses, major guilds. Good stuff. You know, new calendars, names. That's kind of interesting, right? A lot of details here. Author notes. It's always kind of cool to hear about the design from the designer because it gives you an idea like how you're supposed to absorb the thing, right? Like where the motivation came from for stuff is really interesting to hear. And then because it kind of tells you where to have your head at when you're running it, if you want to run it kind of the way they did. And then like, you know, other ways about how to use it is, is really, is really cool. So that, yeah, so they have these districts, right? These major city districts. And I think this is where we get into random, the random stuff. And I asked him, I said, like, did you, was your, yeah, here's, here's different shops, right? Or, or just ran a random person, right? Like this is really cool. You need people. Here's a whole random list of random people, what they do, who they have. And then encounters. And he has 1d20, uh, a flat 1d20 roll for encounters. But they are the style of random encounters that I much prefer. It's not three bandits. It's more than three bandits, but it's only like, again, three sentences long. Young woman in simple, pretty dress is weeping hard into an alley. She was meant to uh, elope today, but her fiance has a sudden change of heart. Shyly asked the characters to take her out, of, out to a tavern to help her forget her troubles, right? Fun. You know, earnest young man named Blythe approaches the party. He declares himself to be a monster hunter. He's tracking an editor cap that emerged from the sewers. He asks for help to track and destroy the monster, right? So it's, it's it's enough for you to build a scene and a situation and maybe a little piece of an adventure, but it's very digestible. It's not paragraphs of stuff. Like it's interesting to see on the DMs Guild, my favorite of the DMs Guild products, I think is Waterdeep City Encounters, which is like a crazy bestseller in the DM. Yeah, it's number one, right? I guess from the Guild and Guild Adepts, it's number one. I don't know where it sits on the most popular DM titles. But it is, and I think it's a, is it an adamantine? You know, it's an adamantine bestseller, right? And it's just a fantastic book. And look who wrote, Empty Black. Huh, how about that, right? And, and I think I heard that Will Doyle was kind of responsible for a lot of that, or kind of managing a lot of the random encounter stuff. And, and they really nailed exactly what size of an encounter you want, right? Which is two to three sentences, 
you know, one to three sentences, not, not more. You don't want paragraphs and you don't want too little to say you want to do an editor cap, right? That's not like, I know how to do that. I want, I want a little bit of work to kind of push me in a direction. So not only does he do that, like here, he does it for every one of the different districts has different people and their jobs. Every one of them has different encounters. So there's like six of these random encounter tables for the whole city, which means you could run a pretty good sized campaign in the city and have lots of different events taking place in all the different locations. And none of them are going to overlap, right? So that alone makes it really useful. If you're running any city, you can grab this kind of stuff and go with it, I think. I think it's, you know, I, I adore it, right? I think it's really powerful stuff. And for five bucks, it's crazy cheap, right? Here's a good like loot, you know, loot, loot in the body, crimes crazy cheap for what you get and really valuable and talk about a product that's like built for you to use, right? This book is built for you to use. So yeah, it's really, it's really good. Yeah. Gandhian says, I think I'm going to yoink that and use it in my campaign. If you need a city, here you go. Right. And it's like, and it's, and it's digestible like this. It's not huge, right? It's got a lot of good stuff in it, a lot of details, but you could read this in, a, in an hour or two and then use it at the table. And you've got a lot of material uh, to work with. So very usable book. I love it. I highly recommend it. Pick it up today on drive uh, on Drive-Thru RPG. I think it is only available in PDF. I'd love it if you did like a digest, <clears throat> a digest print version. I would buy that in a second. So yeah, I don't know. In the meantime, the PDF is definitely, is definitely worthwhile. So that is Iskandar. What else was I going to talk about? Eh, let's talk about miniatures. We'll talk about miniatures. We'll skip this one about the angst of that Watsi isn't making your favorite source book. So there's new miniatures out. This is a debate I've had with my friend Teos now for years. And I have a video and an article on Sly Flourish. We'll start with those. It's kind of be our, yeah, we've got about 10 minutes left. About tokens. Crafting ma mon lazy monster tokens. These are new. Here's an image of them, right? Let's see. I can stick that in the other window. So <clears throat> lots of people, I, I'm, I'm a fan of theater of the mind, but I'm actually a fan of using whatever, let's see, I can just go ahead and just fill that, fill that up, right? I'm a fan of using whatever system or whatever tools work well to help share the story of the game at the table. And I had, the, the problem is that when it comes to representing characters and monsters on the table, the, the co most common approach are miniatures, pre-painted, pre-painted miniatures, but they have, are, are seriously expensive, right? And I think in, for many people, debilitatingly expensive that there's, you can't just spend 20, 30 or 50 bucks and have a collection. 50 bucks gets you like eight miniatures, right? Like not a lot. Even if you're getting like paint, unpainted miniatures, it's not a lot. So it's, it's a hobby on its own and it has the price of being a hobby on its own. It's very expensive. So I tried to come up with like, what's the lazy solution? I came with these things, the lazy monster tokens. And I have a video, if you wanna see how to make these, I'll link to it below. What about Pathfinder standees is a good question. I've talked about this with some other DM friends of mine and we've, I've used them and I've had friends who've used them. And the problem with the Pathfinder standees is that they're really big and opaque and they get in the way. So it's easy to, it's easy, they're, they're, they're kind of big, they're thick. And you can't see through them. And if you put like a large, it's going to block like three smalls. So there's definitely, they're, they're an option. They're, they're not a bad option, right? And I, I, I think, do they still, let's go to Amazon here. So 
they are a good usable solution. I would argue that they are better. They're a better solution. Pathfinder Bestiary Pawn Box. Is that 45 bucks? That's a reasonable price. 375 creature pawns. So that that's pretty good, right? I, I, so yeah, I mean, this is a good solution. The Pathfinder, I, and I, I think like wizards should make something like this. I, weren't they, weren't they going to make thin acrylic miniatures? Wasn't there a thing about that? I might've lost track of that. But this isn't a good approach, right? And this one, like you got all the monsters in it, right? And I think the only problem is you also sort of need the player one too. You need character ones. Although you could argue that like for characters, this might be worth paying the money for the token. If you're going to play a character for a campaign, spend the five bucks and go get a miniature, right? Like that, that's fine. But monsters are the hard part. And when you don't know what monsters you need, that's really hard. So I like these tokens because you only need a handful of them. And they can represent pretty much everything from any level, right? And so it, I think if, assuming you have a color printer, it's about 30 bucks to make these. And you could probably make about four sets for 30 bucks. So it's like, you know, what is that? Like seven or eight bucks a set, right? And that, that seems to be like the cheapest way. And they're really versatile. So that's why I recommend them. But why this came up is that with the new Wild Beyond the Witchlight, there is a mini collector's pack, which has every miniature from this set in it. And it's $750. So it gives you an idea like how much this stuff costs. Why have all this like pop-ups? 81 miniatures, right? 81 minis. Now it's all of them, right? All of the miniatures that are coming out in total, all the premium miniatures, all the minis from the D&D set, uh, starter sets, whatever those are. You know, so it's a whole lot, but, but 81 miniatures, talk about let them eat cake right? Like 81 miniatures for 750 bucks. That's like $9 a mini, right? Like that's, that's, that's really, really high. And I, I mean, I love this hobby and I have disposable income. I, and boy, I drop, I drop coin on Dwarven Forge, I'll tell you, but I'm not buying this. So, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. So I, I, I argue, I argue with people. And I, I, what's funny is I just don't think like my tokens, I like my tokens, but they're not perfect. I lost my tokens. I like my tokens, but they're not perfect. Right. Wow. My text is really big. That's weird. Nothing, nothing is perfect, right? I have yet to find a monster solution. This is as close as I've come to, to a monster solution. So yeah, it's, it's, what's this? Dice of rolling is wooden tokens for 45 bucks. Yeah. So I saw the dice of the dice of rolling. I thought they were a little too generic. They've like, they, they, they had like silhouettes of people. This one has enough that you can represent NPCs and monsters and it's cheaper than that. And they're, yeah, they're, they're, I, I think these are easier to see and they use letters instead of numbers so that you can say, tell me an interesting thing about this cultist that starts with the letter B. And they say, oh, he's got bony protuberances coming out of the front of his head. And you say, okay, bony protuberance head is B. Now you have an in-story way to represent a character out of game. So, yeah. Now it's easy to pick on, uh, it's easy to pick on that $750 set that, that came out. I lost it already. My friend Teos told me like, you know, you can actually buy a brick, I, I guess a brick, whatever, eight packs as like less than half of this price and, and still get almost all of the minis that are in there. And you get a lot more minis than that. So like these guys, right? It's $159. And I think that's eight boxes. 
Is it four or eight? Huge cases, uh, huge booster bricks contain eight standard boosters, 32 figures. So that's 32 figures for 160 bucks. Still pretty pricey, right? That's four or $5 a figure. Anyway, find what we're, I like, so I asked Taos yesterday and I've, I've asked him this before and I never get a great answer, which is like, what do you recommend to a new DM? Like we got so many new DMs coming into this hobby. How should they even get started? Right? Like what, what should they use to represent monsters? And that's why I recommend like the tokens. Like, look, it's cheap. Like you want to do the tokens, it's cheap. You can start with that. And you want to do better than that, that's fine. But here at least you have a set of tokens that you can use. And then next up might be like a Bones Kickstarter. If you can get in a Bones Kickstarter, those are usually a great way to get a lot of cheap unpainted miniatures. Uh, that That's not bad. And what's what's another another way? So you could, like you could get the Monstrous Menagerie set and, and that's about 150 bucks for a case, but you'd have like 50 or 60 minis. And I bet you that could be like the, the, monsters, the Monster Menagerie. Uh, the original Monster Menagerie. Let's see, here's a minis gallery, right? These are the monsters that are included in that. And it's a lot of straightforward standard minis. Mummies and skeletons and zombies and wolves. And, you know, guards, you know, different guards and drakes. You know, this is a, this feels like a good set. Spiders, you know, that you could use for a lot of different things. You know, swarms of bats. You could use those for sturges. So I think this is, you know, if, I mean, it's not a lot of minis and there's probably a lot of minis that are in here that you don't like Lich is cool. Oh, there's probably a lot of minis that aren't in here. Oh, look, it's got a straw. Oh, there's a lot of minis that are probably in here that you wouldn't necessarily use, but there are, there appear to be a lot of minis that you'd use that you could use for a lot of different things, right? Like you want, you want sort of skeletons that you can use. You want sort of normal humanoids that you can use. You want beasts like, you know, a standard wolf miniature is good. You know, there's a lot of different, you know, spiders are always good. You know, what are the, and I've often thought like, what are the most general purpose miniatures you can get that can represent the widest range of monsters? Like if you only could add 30 minis, which 30 would you want that represented the widest range of monsters in, in the types of games that, that people typically run? And I think, there'd be a, I think there'd be a market for something like that. So I don't know. I think the miniature thing is not a solved, is not a solved problem. So I think next week we will, I don't know if this topic is going to come back. We'll see. Uh, dealing with the Yanks that Watsi isn't making your favorite world source book. In short, if you are really bothered by the fact that Wizards has not made a Planescape or a Spelljammer or a Greyhawk game, go and buy the original books. They're still out there. You can get them. I think, can you get Spelljammer? Let's go to DMs Guild. Can you get Spelljammer in print? Where is Spelljammer? Adventures in Space, right? You can get a hardcover version for 30 bucks. If you want Spelljammer, look at this, $31 for PDF and PDF and standard. You know, I, hell, I'll go buy it right now. I'm gonna log in on my other, just in case people can figure out passwords and stuff. So. I apparently don't own Spelljammer. So look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do the hardcover, standard color book, and PDF for 31, 32 bucks. Because I've never owned Spelljammer before. Why isn't it? There we go. Check out. I should probably do this offline too, shouldn't I? Do, do, do. How do I drag this? Go away, window. Where's the next? Media mail is fine. Five bucks shipping is fine. Next, they're doing standard color instead of premium color because premium color went way up. 
use my account credit to pay for it because I got more account credit than I can ever use. Confirm order. So there, I've got Spelljammer, right? Everybody's always complaining. Oh, why won't they make Spelljammers? Adventures in Space 2E, zip cards, zip maps, box. Click the download. Let's go take a look at it. The Planescape book. Yeah, I, I bought it and I like it. I dig, I dig, I dig Planescape. I can't believe I have this like Pathfinder thing sitting on my screen all this time. Go back to our happy people drinking coffee. I like it. And that's my point. Like, I mean, a lot of people worked hard to write these old books. They're there. So if you don't have your favorite setting, go get it. Right? Like they're there. Dark Sun, Planescape. I have them all. I have Planescape. I have Ravenloft. I have Dark Sun. I now have Spelljammer. Right? I have Greyhawk. So all that old material is there. If you love the old material, it's still there. It still exists. And it's really easy to convert this stuff to 5e. Are there 5e design considerations that would be cool to apply to one of those old settings? Sure. And would I not buy it? No, of course I'd buy it. Would I be excited if they said, hey, we're going to do Planescape? I would be very excited if they said they're going to do Planescape. Do I need them to? And am I upset when they don't? No, I'm not upset. They can do what they're going to do right? I don't let Watsi drive my happiness. What Their decisions don't drive my happiness. I'm, I am floating on the river of life and I'm happy to see what they do and I will enjoy what they do. And in the meantime, I am swimming in more RPG products than I can possibly use in my life. So I am, I am, I am good. And I recommend taking it easy. If you get real upset about the fact that I didn't do a Dark Sun, pick up the old Dark Sun and read it and enjoy it. How to convert older editions to 5e. I don't think you need to do very much. So Mon Mighty Python, and that's really the question. One nice thing about 5e's design is that it it fits well. It's rare, it's rare to have things that that don't work well in older editions because generally speaking, all you're really worried about is like, is there a monster that changed its power a lot? Otherwise, you just grab the 5e stat block for something. So if you're reading an adventure and there's a 5e monster, I get you know there's there's probably some like well there were class things that mattered in Dark Sun. How do you apply those in 5e? But you could probably put some house, house rules in place to do like a Dark Sun version. But, but monsters, traps, DCs, all that stuff, you don't really need to do any work. Just, just apply the current 5e stuff on top of the old lore and, you're, and you're, you're good. You don't even have to change monsters or update them. Just use what the monsters that exist already. A lot of the monsters that are in these old things are in current books. You just change it. So as a lazy dungeon master... <clears throat> As a lazy dungeon master, don't think too hard on the conversion. Just use the lore and wrap it in your 5e, your 5e mechanics. And that's pretty much my one line, my one sentence guide. I, I, and maybe I'm being overly simplistic and there's areas where you definitely need to do more work than that. I don't think so, though. Like, I think I could run any of the game worlds because I've run weirder game worlds and D&D stuff using 5e rules before. And a lot of people have. So, so I think that works. I think this, we will call it a day for the Lazy D&D Talk Show. If you enjoyed this show, you can help me out in four different ways. Uh, first, you can subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter by going to slyflourish.com slash news or subscribe. It's also, the link is down below. That gets you new D&D articles right to your inbox every week. You can subscribe to me here on YouTube. You can you follow me here on YouTube. You can support me directly by going to patreon.com slash slyflourish and becoming a patron of Sly Flourish. Uh, or four, you can pick up any of my books, but in particular, you'll probably like Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master and the Lazy DM's Workbook. Thank you very much, and have a great day. Let me hit, can't, 